Hey everyone, my name is Eddie Burgard, and welcome to Love Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission, to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. Hello, my Love Chapel Hill family. My name is Liz, and I would like to personally invite you to connect with us. And so if you are new, you can fill out the connect card, which can be found in the description of whatever video platform you're watching this on, either Facebook or YouTube. And if you wanna find other ways to connect with us, please visit our website, lovechapelhill.com. Happy Sunday, and I love you all. Hi everyone, I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful day. If we haven't met yet, I'm Caroline Carpenter and I look forward to the day that we do get to meet. I wanna invite you to our Sunday watch party that happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. over Zoom. I've absolutely loved joining in on the watch parties and getting to talk to people about the message, about our weeks and just anything that comes up. Um, I will be honest that there are very few things that I wake up early for, but the watch party makes it worth it every single time. So you can find the Zoom info for that on our website at lovechapelhill.com. I hope to see you there. Hi, I'm Maddie, and I get to tell you about Quest Kids. Quest Kids is our children's ministry, and throughout this time of worshiping at home, we've been having weekly Zoom meetings Sundays at 10 a.m. And we are in search of and in need of volunteers. I know another Zoom meeting might feel like a hard sell right now, but let me tell you, this is not like any other Zoom meeting you're going to. You get to hang out with about 15 engaged, insightful, and hilarious kids, and you get to spend time doing fun things like scavenger hunts and games, and of course, reading from and learning from God's Word. It's been such a powerful and joyful time of connection for all of us, and I really encourage you to reach out if you're interested. It doesn't matter if you're someone who has volunteered in person in the past who wants to reconnect or you're looking to do this for the first time. We would love to hear from you. There's two ways that you can reach out to connect. One is going to our church's main webpage, lovechapelhill.com, and scrolling a bit down on that first screen, you'll see a spot to reach out or to apply to be a volunteer. Or you can look at the connect card link at the bottom of this video and fill that out and just express your interest in the children's ministry request kits there. We are really excited to hear from you and looking forward to working with you. All things are possible when we believe all chains are breakable. When we receive Yahweh, you keep your promises. If you said it, we believe it. If you said it, if you said it, we believe it. And if you said it, we believe it. Cause you're a man of your word. If you said it, we believe it. said it, we believe it, you're a man of your word. All things are possible when we believe and old chains are breakable. When we receive Yahweh, you keep your promises. If you said it, we believe it. If you said it, if you said it, we believe it. 
And if you said it, we believe it Cause you're a man of your word If you said it, we believe it And if you said it, we believe it Cause you're a man of your word And we have this confidence And you'll finish what you started And God, you have never failed won't start with me You're patient in every step Patient in every heartache And God, you have never failed You won't start with me If you said it, we believe it If you said it, we believe it Cause you're a man of your word said it, we believe it. And if you said it, we believe it. Cause you're a man of your word, yeah. And I am who you say I am. And I am who you say I am. Oh, yes, I am. And I am who you say I am. If you said it, we believe it Cause you're a man of your word If you said it, we believe it God, we believe you today, Lord And if you said it, we believe it Cause you're a man of your I 
Welcome to the second Sunday of Lent, this 40-day season in the Christian calendar where disciples of Jesus around the world are preparing our minds, our hearts, our souls, even our bodies in preparation for the celebration of the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross on Good Friday and his victory over death and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, but already you're going to see this theme emerging about the cost of following Jesus. As the cross comes into view, as we're walking through Lent with Jesus together, Matthew is going to show us what the cost of discipleship really looks like. So Matthew chapter 8, and uh, we're going to start with uh, verse 18, and we're going to go all the way through the rest of chapter 8 today, uh, but we're going to read these first few verses together here. Matthew chapter 8, starting with 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. 
Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, as we move uh, into this little section today, uh, I have to start um, with those that first verse, just verse 18. Uh, and what Jesus says there, it says, when he saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. That's going to be the framework through which we're going to see uh, the rest of chapter eight today. It really sets us up for where we're going through the rest of Lent in the Gospel of Matthew. When he saw the crowds, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Confession time. Um, I have been in love with that one verse right there. I have been in love with that verse for about 20 years. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I came across that and there was something about the imagery of it even though I'd seen that verse so many times before, there was something about that imagery of Jesus seeing the crowns, but then giving this order to his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. And for 20 years, uh, that has, in my mind, formed this core image of what discipleship to Jesus looks like. This image of crossing over to the other side of the lake. It's one of those uh, words to stand on that we have talked about together before. And I just keep coming back to it over and over again. Here's why I think um, when Jesus sees the crowds, we know that the crowd has been built because of uh, the, the action of the kingdom. And they're seeing this unfold. They've heard this incredible teaching. Now they're seeing it in action and people want to be a part of that. They are drawn to it. And yet Jesus is inviting his disciples to go to a place where the rest of the crowd is never going to be willing to go. Jesus always has compassion on the crowds, but Jesus doesn't have any confidence in the crowds. And he looks at this crowd and he recognizes uh, that it is stirred up and it's driven by and it's motivated by this enthusiasm. And he is trying to tell us plainly that following him is going to require more than enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is the easiest emotion to stir up. It's also the easiest emotion to kill. It, 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 it dies just as quickly as the moment that gave birth to it. Put a little bit of pressure on enthusiasm and it disappears. But Jesus is saying this is going to require something different. Holy love requires something more than that. And so I, I keep coming back to that over and over again. And in this sense that this journey to the other side of the lake, stepping out of the crowd and going with him to the other side of the lake is this invitation that is always going to require courage from us. He's being very plain about what it's going to cost. And he lays that out. And we'll see that more as we go through the rest of this passage and even the next couple of uh, stories that are connected 
to this passage. But the invitation here, it, it requires courage to step out of the faceless crowd, to move beyond curiosity. That is great. Jesus loves drawing that crowd to himself, the people who are drawn and want to see more. But he's always going to invite the crowd to come another step and to move from being in that crowd into this life of discipleship. He's always going to move beyond come and see into come and follow. And that's where discipleship is headed. So it's this move beyond curiosity. It's a move beyond affinity for Jesus. It's definitely a move beyond a cultural identification with Jesus or this civic kind of religion that says, I'm a Christian because of where I was born and the town that I grew up with and these kinds of values that we say that we um, live by. It's definitely more than this cultural or civic form of Christianity. It's an invitation into intimacy. It's an invitation into accountability. We don't like that, but following Jesus will always confront us with that. It's an invitation into apprenticeship, to walk with him, to learn his life and to begin to live according to that pattern. It's an invitation into risk. It's an invitation into obedience. It's an invitation into holiness and this journey of sanctification as we're surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit's cultivating work in us, shaping us into the likeness of Jesus. This is what this invitation is about. It's out of the safety and anonymity that comes with the crowd. And it's into a vulnerability that comes with intimacy with Jesus. And the disciples experience that and the crowds don't. And Jesus is saying, I love your curiosity. I love that you have these questions. Now I'm asking you to keep pushing further. Come another step, come closer. There's room for you in this boat. Come with us to the other side of the lake. Now, why do I see all of that meaning in that one little statement? Uh, why am I trying to pack so much uh, into this just one little what seems like this offhand description about a boat ride with Jesus and his disciples? Why am I trying to see all of that into it? Because I think we see that with what comes next in the story and then next and then next again and then next after that. As this story keeps rolling, it's connected to this moment as Jesus um, invites into this further life, this deeper life. But he also is about to make really clear the cost of discipleship. And to me, that image of the other side of the lake is this core image about the cost of discipleship. Here's why. One of the people from that crowd does step out and this person says, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. Teacher, I will follow you anywhere you go. Uh, and this person was a teacher of the law, it says. So this is a Torah scholar. This is a person who knows the word of God inside and out, has dedicated his life to studying and teaching the word of God. And there's something in the way that Jesus teaches. And there's something in the way that Jesus moves and acts that awakens something 
in this teacher of the law. And he's drawn to Jesus and he says, I want to be one of your disciples too. I will follow you anywhere. I see the truth that I've studied my entire life. I see it in reality in you. And what does Jesus say to him? This person of influence, this person of prestige within that community, this person of honor within the community who's dedicated his life and worked extremely hard to get to that place in that position of honor. And what does Jesus say? If it was any of us, we would say, come on, you're on the team. Let's go. We need somebody like you. But Jesus looks at this man and he gives him this cryptic answer, this cryptic challenge back to him. And he says, Foxes have holes to live in. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What does that mean? What does that mean? Jesus is confronting this man with the cost of discipleship. If you want to follow me, then you're going to have to go where I'm going. Your life is going to be reshaped to take on the pattern of my life. You're going to walk with me. You're going to live with me. You're going to become like me. Are you ready for that kind of cost? Followed immediately by that, we get a person who's identified as another disciple, uh, not meaning one of the 12 disciples, but one of the people who has become a follower of Jesus, a, a, a member of that larger crowd that goes where Jesus goes and is leaning into what Jesus is teaching. And this person says, Jesus, I want to be a follower of yours too. I want to go where you go. I want to come with you. But first, let me go and bury my father. And after I do that, then I will join you and become one of your disciples and Jesus answers him, uh, gives him this answer and again a challenge that says, you follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now that seems hard. That seems like it completely lacks any compassion at all. It doesn't seem and sound like Jesus, but it's exactly like Jesus because this, Jesus is challenging this man once again with the cost of discipleship. Understand that in uh, the Jewish culture of that time, um, the, the family was, was so important and so honored. Uh, it's this honor and shame kind of culture. And the way that you act in your family, the way that you treat your family uh, has a lot to do with that honor and that shame that you are bringing to your family. And there was a requirement in the Jewish law, in God's law, that you honor your family. Uh, and part of that would be uh, to care for your parents until your parents are gone, giving that kind of honor to your parents. And so most likely what is happening here is not this man saying, Jesus, my father has just passed away. Can I please stay until the funeral? And then after the funeral, I will come and follow you. That's not what is happening here. What is most likely happening is this man saying, Jesus, I want to come with you, but I have responsibilities in my life. Let me fulfill all of these other responsibilities first. Let me bury my father. I have to take care of my family until my parents have passed away. After my father has passed away sometime down the road, my responsibilities will be fulfilled and then I will come and follow you. And Jesus says, there's too much urgency around the gospel for that. The kingdom is here and now. The kingdom is breaking in in this moment. There's no time to wait. Come with me now. I didn't come here for funerals. 
I came here for resurrections. I came here to bring life to a world that is drowning in death. Come with me now and be a part of that. So in both of these statements, we see what seems like harshness from Jesus. We see it seems like Jesus is cutting these people off, but he's not. He is confronting them, though, with the real cost of discipleship and what it will require to be a follower of Jesus. Of course, we know that the grace of Jesus is not something that can be earned. It doesn't come to us because of our good works. We cannot work our way into salvation. The salvation of Jesus, the grace of Jesus is a free gift of God's mercy and love to us. Jesus accomplished for us in his death, resurrection, in his life, uh, what we could never accomplish ourselves. He did that for us. We cannot earn it. We cannot win it. So we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer means when he says moving beyond cheap grace into costly grace. We recognize that grace costs Jesus everything. Costs Jesus his life. And when he invites us into that life, he's saying this is not going to be an easy Road And Jesus makes it very plain and very clear that there is a cost to being his discipleship, his disciple and living in that life of discipleship. So, yes, it's odd at first when we look at these interactions, but it's completely in alignment with who Jesus is. He's very real and he's very honest about the cost of discipleship in both of these instances. This is not Jesus saying no. Jesus is not saying no to these people about coming with him and being one of his disciples. He's not saying no. Jesus is defining yes. And there's a massive difference between those two. He's not saying no. He's defining yes. And he's being very real about that. Uh, I will make another confession here, and that's that I'm a dreamer. Uh, And that surprises absolutely no one. Uh, And some of you are dreamers like me too. And it's really easy to attract dreamers and to recruit dreamers to this compelling vision of what the kingdom of God looks like. So we hear the Sermon on the Mount. We see the compassion of Jesus. We see the love of Jesus in action. And we want to be a part of something like that. And so we're drawn quickly to that. But dreamers like me have to be confronted with the reality of the cost of discipleship, that this is what it means to live in the kingdom. Do we want to be a part of that too? Because we don't just get those, what we see as inspiring parts of Jesus. We have to take all of Jesus if we want any of Jesus. That is what is required, the full Jesus. And he's always being real with us. That it's not just a picture of a kingdom that he's painting, but he himself is a king and he has a journey to make. And the journey of this king is headed directly to a cross. Do you still want to follow me and go with me there? There's always room in the boat for one more. He's inviting you to. He's inviting you to join him on this discipleship journey with him. But he's going to always be real and always be true 
to you and with you about what it's going to cost. Jesus is the truth himself. And so he's always going to be clear and true about where this journey is headed. As we move into the, the next section, there are two other stories that are connected here. Uh, each of these stories are, are they're miracle stories. And so on their own, uh, they could have an entire sermon series on their own, each of them. Uh, we have preached on them before. And so we're not going to have the time to go into deep detail on either of them. But I want us to look at them uh, as connected to this challenge and this cost of discipleship, uh, because I believe that they are connected in that kind of way. And so here we see um, the disciples going away from the crowd, getting with Jesus, getting ready to cross to the other side of the lake with Jesus in this discipleship journey. But in case those disciples are in any way feeling smug about their seat on the boat with Jesus and about taking this journey with him to the other side of the lake, they are about to see why Jesus is so clear about the cost of discipleship and why he is so bold and confrontational about that with these other two people that have just uh, asked to be his followers. So uh, uh, Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 23 through 27 together. And this is uh, the story of, of the storm that comes up on those disciples as they're with Jesus. Here's what it says. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of person is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So this is a really famous story about Jesus calming this storm, this storm that threatens the lives, the lives of the disciples as they are journeying with him to the other side of the lake. In the midst of this discipleship journey, already we're beginning to see part of the cost and why Jesus is so clear and confrontational about that. Are you willing to go with me through this? What I am about to go through, will you go with me? This is not going to be an easy journey. A little bit of background here. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is referred to as a lake uh, oftentimes in the Gospels and here in this exact passage. Um, those words are interchangeable. Um, the size of the Sea of Galilee is actually only a little bit larger than Jordan Lake here locally. Um, also, it was it continues to be known as this place where sudden storms can come up because of the geography surrounding it, the mountains that surround uh, that are around uh, the Sea of Galilee. So it's this place that is still prone to this, uh, these sudden storms that come up seemingly out of nowhere. So this is always a threat and a danger uh, for anybody who is on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, another part to that that's really interesting and important for us to know is that in the Jewish mindset, uh, bodies of water like this represented the unknown. And there was often fear associated with these larger 
bodies of water because of that unknown element uh, to them and, and w- they're often seen as threatening in themselves and then add a storm like this on top of it. Uh, and that is completely playing into that. Also remember that Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience. And so not just that sense of uh, that common sense of, of the sea being this uh, symbol of the unknown and, and a threat and fear, um, but also the history that is connected to this moment, to the storms and the power of Jesus speaking to this storm and the storm obeying his words. Immediately to a Jewish mind, they're going to go back to the book of Genesis. They're going to go back to Genesis 1, Genesis 2, the creation narrative. And they're going to remember that the creation narrative begins with this sense of, uh, this is the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. And, and that in creation, the word of God, the spoken word of God takes chaos and brings it into order. And so they see that happen with Jesus. He speaks the word and the waters obey him. And the chaos of the water is brought into calm and order. They're beginning to make that mental connection in their minds. Also, immediately, they're going to go to the story of Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea. And it's so much of their uh, language about that, in their poetry about that, in the songs that they sing about that moment of deliverance where God takes them from slavery and in Egypt into freedom by bringing them through the Red Sea that he parts and then that Red Sea collapses back in uh, on the Egyptian army that are trying to kill them. Uh, They see that moment of the raging and the roaring waters and God having control over that uh, as this connection to their deliverance. And once again, with Jesus speaking these words and the water listening to him, They're hearing the echoes of that story too. And then all throughout the Psalms and in their poetry, uh, they continually come back to that symbol of the raging, uh, roaring waters as this symbol of chaos, as this symbol of fear. And yet God's word having the power to speak, be still and it listens. It listens. So they're seeing all of those pieces come together in their mind and they're recognizing that this power exists in this person of Jesus. This person who is so at peace, who is so in control that he's asleep in the middle of the storm. The disciples are fearing for their lives and Jesus is asleep. Does that mean he doesn't care? No, it means he's in complete control. It means he's at complete peace because he himself is peace. So much so that he's able to be asleep even in the middle of a storm that seems to threaten their very lives. When Jesus wakes up, uh, he rebukes and he calms both the storm and the disciples. He rebukes and calms both the storm and the disciples. He speaks that to them. And the same voice that called the disciples is now calming this storm. And they're recognizing that they can't even get their minds around who this person is. 
And they, they respond with, who is this person? Who is this man who speaks? And even the waves and the wind obey him. That same voice that called you has the power to speak into the storms of your life as well. He has the power to speak and calm the storms of your life. Deeper than that, he has the power to speak peace to you, even as the storm continues to rage around you. He has the power to bring you into the kind of rest that he exemplifies in the middle of this storm. He's asleep because he's at complete peace, because he is not afraid. And so at times, Jesus will speak peace and calm to the storms surrounding you. At other times, he's going to speak peace and calm, not to the storm, but to you and to the depths of who you are. And even in the midst of what you're going through, people are going to be amazed at how you can be at peace, even in the middle of that. But you will know, I have peace because I'm listening to the same voice who can calm the storm, but who's calming me and bringing me into the kind of rest and peace that he exemplifies with even being able to sleep in the middle of the storm. This hit me in a different kind of way, even last night. There are a few different storms that I'm going through in my life right now. And as I was laying in bed last night and not able to sleep, trying to fall asleep, it just hit me. And I felt like the Lord challenged me. Have you asked me about it? Have you given it to me? There are situations that you're trying to fix, that you're trying to use your skills and gifts and things that you think can help fix this situation. But have you asked me? And I felt challenged in that um, to be able to let go of it and to be able to rest and to be able to sleep because of the one who can sleeps, who can sleep in the middle of the storm. Have you asked him? Pause right now and do that if you need to. Whatever storm is raging, he has the power to speak peace to it and to speak peace to you. The last story here, uh, quickly, verses 28 through 34. Uh, tells us the story of what happens after this storm. So the disciples and Jesus come out of one storm and Jesus calms that one. And now they're stepping right into another storm here in chapter eight. It says this, when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet with Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. 
So once again, in this section, we get another famous story, but it's another example tied to what we talked to at the beginning. This is why Jesus is so confrontational, why Jesus is so clear about the cost of discipleship. Are you willing to follow me? This is what you're going to get yourself into. This is where I'm going. Are you willing to come with me? Are you still willing to come even after you know all of that? Again, they step out of one storm and right into another. The the disciples are probably still shaken by what they experienced on the lake. And now they come face to face with this moment. We don't have time to go into all of the details that this passage requires. There's so much nuance around this. Um, In the way that the church needs to speak about this moment of demon possession. Uh, Even in the way that the church needs to speak uh, to not just the tragedy of the two men who are demon possessed, but also the tragedy of what happens to this herd of pigs. The church cares about nature. The church cares about creation and that should move us too. And so there's so much nuance that we need to address around this. We don't have the time today, but I'm gonna direct you if you want to dive into that. Um, Just over a year ago, uh, last January, January 26, 2020, We looked at Mark's version of this passage uh, from his gospel. And so we get into all of that. So if that concerns you and you want to dive more deeply into that, then I would just send you uh, to listen to that whole message. And and we cover that and try to cover uh, some of that together. But the key piece here in this story is for us to see once again the cost of discipleship. This is where Jesus is headed Are we willing to go? I find it really interesting that the demons uh, make a declaration that the disciples have not been willing to make yet or able to make yet. When the disciples experience the power of Jesus on display in the middle of the storm, their reaction is, what kind of person is this? When the demons encounter Jesus, they immediately say, son of God, And they declare and confess that he is the son of God. Interestingly enough, this is the second time this has happened in Matthew's gospel. Uh, The first time happens with Satan making the same confession in Matthew chapter four. Son of God, he calls him. And so the disciples aren't able to answer the question yet. What kind of person is this? The demons know. They already know and they see it clearly. And again, in this, we see just like we see in the storm. In both of these stories, we see the unrivaled reign of Jesus. That this kingdom that he is inaugurating, he is the king of this kingdom. And when his kingdom clashes with all others, he is the last one standing. We see his authority on display again. Matthew keeps building on this. And so we've seen his authority in his teachings. We've seen his authority in his actions. We just saw his authority over the storm in nature. And now we see his authority over the forces of evil themselves. When he speaks, they listen and they move accordingly. We see that the power of evil here is contrasted against the power of Jesus. The power of evil is demonstrated through bondage, through fear, and through isolation from the rest of the communities. Men are living in the tombs, it says, cut off from the rest of the community. 
But the power of Jesus is demonstrated through freedom, through compassion, and through a return to community for these men after they are healed. Even in the sense that Jesus heals nature. He speaks to the storm and brings peace to nature. Evil is trying to destroy nature. When they go into the pigs, they destroy the pigs, just like they were trying to destroy these two men that they had possessed before. And so we see a very clear contrast between the kingdoms. And it's Jesus' kingdom that clearly has the unrivaled reign over all others. No questions are left about the authority of Jesus. No questions are left about the unrivaled reign of Jesus when it comes to nature or when it comes to the forces of evil. He speaks, nature obeys. He speaks, evil even has to obey. They have no choice but to obey. Which brings us back to the beginning once again and the way that we started this passage together. It brings us back to the question of, what about you? You do have a choice. Out of his love and mercy and grace, he has given you a choice. He always initiates and he is beginning to open up your heart through his grace to enable you to make that decision and to make that choice, to allow your heart to be drawn to his and to come into confrontation with that question of will you follow me? That's the only choice left. And he's making it very clear, this reality of what this choice is going to cost. And when he speaks, will you obey? That's the question that is left. The same voice that conquered the demons, the same voice that calmed the storm is speaking to you too. And he's saying, will you step out of the crowd and get into the boat with me and come with me to the other side of the lake? Are you willing to step into this cost of discipleship? Will you follow me? That's the question that we're going to keep exploring on our journey with Jesus towards the cross through Lent. But it's not just a question for us to contemplate. It's a question for us to answer. Will you follow Jesus? Standing here Not knowing how we'll get through this test But holding on to faith, you know that Nothing can catch you by surprise You've got this figured out You're watching us now And when it looks as if we can't win You wrap us in your arms and step in Everything we need you supply You've got this in control And now we know that you made a way When our back was against the wall 
And it looked as if it was over Lord, you, you made a way And was standing here Only because you made a way God, you made a way for us Standing here not knowing how we'll get through this test But holding on to faith you know that and Nothing can catch you by surprise You got this figured out You're watching us now And when it looks as if we can't win in your arms and step in and everything we need you supply you've got this in control and now we know that you made a way when our back was against the wall and it looked as if it was over Lord you you made a Standing here only because you made a way, and we're standing here only because you made a way. Cause you move mountains and you cause the walls to fall, and with your power, you perform miracles, and there is and that's impossible And we're standing here And only because you made a way You move mountains And you cause the walls to fall And with your power You perform miracles And there is nothing And that's impossible And we're standing Joel, and I am so thankful that you decided to join and worship with us today. Uh, we really appreciate you coming and being here with us. I hope you found something inspiring or thoughtful that you're able to meditate on this week. Uh, but real quick before we close, would love to uh, let you know about some great serving and love opportunities that we are doing as a church. 
And one of those is still our strangely warm ministry that we've still running on Sunday mornings at the varsity. So if you have warmed items, I mean like coats, hats, gloves, scarves, blankets, anything that you would like to donate, uh, you can actually come down to the varsity between 9 and 9.30 every Sunday morning. And we'll be right outside. You can just drop it off right at the door. We'll find a home for all these amazing items to these most amazing people that are in need. But a very specific uh, request for men's gloves and men's coats specifically. If you can find those items, that'd be super, super helpful. Also, if you want to love some of our amazing college students, well, we have uh, some great opportunities for you. And this is actually provided by our college students. Uh, they, this is things that they have requested. So if you would love to provide a home-cooked meal, a place to study quietly off campus, or even just to be a person to be able to chat with, to pray with, or to mentor, we would love for you to have that opportunity to love our college students. So go to lovechapelhill.com. Go right on the main page. There's a part that says serving. Just fill that out. Let us know what you're interested in. and We will get you connected to one of our great college students to be able to love on them. But as we close today, uh, I tell you, man, I was so inspired by this message of really looking into what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, that vulnerable side, that intimate side, uh, to follow Jesus in that upside down kingdom approach where things don't necessarily match what our society would do. Uh, it actually reminds me of the devotion that my son and I, my six-year-old son and I, have been going through uh, since the Sermon on the Mount series a couple weeks ago. And uh, we are doing the Beatitudes, which is found in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. And I was when you're trying to explain something to a six-year-old that you've read hundreds of times over, you tend to kind of find different elements that you may not have seen before, or, or the Holy Spirit is opening up a space uh, to see something different. And uh, so just, just verse 3, I could not even get past that without, you know, just being completely challenged. And verse three is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So trying to explain to a six-year-old what poor in spirit means is a little challenging, but super help, super helpful. So I related to him about poor in money. And so I said, if you have little to no money, which means everything that costs money, you have a great need for. So if you had a lot of money, you would have little need for things that cost money. So a poor in spirit is someone who is poor in spirit type things like hope, love, joy, happiness. So if someone is poor in spirit, just like someone with poor money, they would mean they would have little of these things and would have a greater need to be filled with the things that are provided uh, through the spirit. And he started to kind of grasp that and then it started to challenge me. I was like, well, wait a minute. What is my spirit? How filled is my spirit right now? And, and the idea of somebody that, you know, if you've been in a situation where you just kind of had no hope and no happiness and no joy, and you're like trying to fill it so much with anything that possibly could fill it to, to bring, even if it's just a moment of satisfaction to your life. But now Jesus is saying that this is a blessed person to be in the situation. And, and it just kind of clicked. It's like, well, wait a minute. If I'm at that low point, this is perfect for Jesus to be able to come and fill me, fill us with what he wants to fill us with, with his sustaining joy, his sustaining happiness, his sustaining love, and his sustaining and ever uh, present hope. 
And then what kind of different person would I be if I'm filled with these sustainable things that literally change me and make me new? Well, as Jesus says, then mine is the kingdom of heaven and so would be yours. So here's my challenge to you today as I was challenged. What's in your spirit right now? What are you filling it with? Is it, is it sustainable, sustainable stuff that Jesus provides? Or is it just quick, satisfying things just to be full in spirit, where Jesus says we're blessed to be poor in spirit? Maybe this is that vulnerable side of discipleship that Matt was talking about, where uh, getting in that boat makes no sense to everybody else. Well, maybe, you know, structuring our life and seeing that being less of hope, less of joy, less of happiness is an opportunity for Jesus to fill us and to teach others the same, that it's not always, you know, rainbows and puppies, but sometimes it's just Jesus in the midst of our pain and our hopelessness, that he fills us. It makes us new. It makes us something better. That's our challenge today. If you want to follow Jesus, so you're willing to allow the emptiness of your spirit so he can fill it with himself. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed your time with us and hope you come back again next week. You are sent to Love Chapel Hill or wherever you are with the heart of Jesus. Mm-hmm.